Chapter 6, Open for Business. Hey there, I'm Eric Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. Join us on our journey to building a $100 million company. Hey, what's happening? This is Eric J. Olson. In January of 2021, I published a book named Million Dollar Journey. I had the audio for that. It's on audible.com, but I'm going to share it with you right here on this podcast. So this is a chapter from the book. Some of these episodes are going to be long. Some will be short, but I'm going to read the whole thing to you. One chapter at a time. Here you go. After hearing it, let me know what you think on Instagram. I hang out there at eric.j.olson. That's E-R-I-K.j.olson. And without further ado, here's a chapter from Million Dollar Journey. By now you've identified a skill that you want to focus on, you've validated your offering by getting someone to buy from you, and you have a company name, you've bought a domain name, and you've started to set up your business's brand. Time to hang your shingle and let the world know you're open for business. Up until this point, there is little need to worry about any legalities to freelancing. But once you're ready to go out on your own, you need to think about the legal implications and jump through the necessary hoops. Selecting your business entity. The phrase business entity refers to the legal structure of a business. As the person opening the business, you can declare that you are one of many types of businesses. Each entity type has its pros and cons. I am not going to go into this very deeply because you can find a ton of literature on the internet about the different kinds of business entity types. Here are the most common types for most businesses. Sole proprietor, limited liability company, also known as an LLC, S-Corp, and C-Corp. Consult with the internet and an attorney to find the best entity type for the business you plan to open. But in my experience, an LLC is the best option for most companies. So we're going to dive right into that. Limited Liability Company, LLCs. A common way of isolating business risk is to establish a limited liability company, also known as an LLC. My lawyer once told me that an LLC is like a legal firewall between you and your personal assets and the assets and risk of your business. Generally speaking, lawsuits and financial liabilities cannot cross that legal firewall. If someone sues your LLC for 100 times what the LLC is worth, then they can take everything in the LLC. They can wipe it clean, but they can only take what the LLC owns. They can't cross the legal firewall, meaning they can't take your house, your retirement, or your other personal assets. There are also tax benefits to opening an LLC. Any profit or loss that the LLC realizes for a given tax year will not result in taxes paid by the LLC directly. Instead, those will be filed with your personal taxes and you will file one tax return. This is a good tax scenario because you will only be taxed once for that income regardless of whether it came from a regular W-2 employment or from your LLC or both. An LLC is a good business entity type 
for an individual business owner or a partnership. If you have a partner, then you'll each own a percentage of the LLC. LLCs can even be owned by other companies. In most states, you can get your own LLC from the state government pretty quickly online. In my home state of Virginia, I've completed the process in under 10 minutes on multiple occasions. The process requires you to provide basic information about yourself and your business, such as the name and address, and to pay a small fee. As part of becoming an LLC, you are expected to include LLC at the end of your company name. As an example, although I refer to my company as Array Digital, technically it's Array Digital, comma, LLC. For that reason, I recommend that you first get your LLC, which modifies your formal company name. Everything else you do will use the new formal name with LLC at the end. Business License A business license is a tax you pay to the city that you reside in or to the city in which you will conduct your business. I find it ridiculous that you have to pay your city a tax in order to open a business. You may feel the same way, but frankly, it doesn't matter how we feel. That's life, and if you want to conduct a business legally, then you need a business license, and that means paying the tax. Local laws vary, so check with your city for details. If a business license is required in your city, but you decide not to pay the tax or not to get a business license, you are opening yourself up to a liability. If discovered, then the city will crack down hard on you. You'll end up paying the business license tax and penalties too, and they will likely compel you to stop operating your business until you're in good standing. It's not something to mess around with. Just call your city or go to their website and get your legal affairs in order. Most cities will charge a minimal amount if you don't exceed a revenue threshold. You will typically pay something like $50 for the first $100,000 in revenue. If you make more than $100,000, then your taxes will be calculated as a percentage of your gross revenue. This varies from city to city, so again, check with them for the details. Once you have your business license, you are 100% free to start conducting business. Let's get to it. Tell the world. Your network is your most powerful weapon at this early stage of starting your business. You need to activate your network and tell them what you're doing. But many instinctively hold back for a few reasons. Although I had launched a website and updated my online profiles, most people in my network simply did not realize what I was up to until I told them. They'd literally have to stumble across my profile or website and figure it out for themselves. That wasn't good enough. You have to proactively tell your network what you're up to. Ensure they get the message so that they can begin to refer business to you. When I launched my company, I decided that, in addition to my website and updating my online profile, I would send a letter to every person I knew who I also had a mailing address for. The idea was to send an announcement, almost like a wedding announcement, in that it was a formal announcement. When I say everyone I knew, I mean everyone. Anyone that I had ever come into contact with, every friend, schoolmate, past roommates, even my close friends and family who already knew what I was up to. 
every single person that I could reach. I needed them to clearly understand what I was up to. Once they knew they could potentially refer me business, I wrote a letter and prepared to send 236 envelopes, one to each person I had an address for. I did it on the cheap and I had the announcements printed at a local office shop. They were also printed address labels that I would put on each envelope. Not exactly the classiest production, but the point was to get the letter and the message out to my world. I felt a lot of anxiety about dropping those letters in the mailbox. Once dropped in the mail, I wouldn't be able to take them back. By announcing what I was doing to everyone I knew, I would be fully committing to my new company. And once committed to the company, I was also committed to the outcome. What if my company failed? By sending those announcements, I was making myself vulnerable to the shame I'd feel if the company failed. For that reason, many entrepreneurs resist telling everyone they know what they're doing. It's a way of hedging their bets in case they fail. I can understand that. But what was much more important than potential embarrassment was seizing the opportunity to get the word out about what I was doing. I had to let the world know and also let them know that I needed their help. The letter basically said, I've opened a business, here's what we do, and if you know anyone who needs this service, then please send them my way. I didn't directly solicit my network for work, but I did ask them to refer me to people who may need my help. Within days, everyone I knew was aware of the transition I had made. And guess what? I got a couple of new leads from the letters, and one of those leads turned into a paying gig. I had made myself vulnerable, let my entire network know I was open for business, and as a result, I had landed another client. The announcement was effective and cheap, costing only about $200 total for the printing and stamps. Whether you want to take the same route with mailings is up to you, but no matter what, tell the world about your new business and ask them for referrals. Activate your network. Many years ago, when I was still an employee, I would occasionally notice that a coworker who was previously inactive on LinkedIn would suddenly start to get many new connections. I realized they were likely looking for a new job, which they'd confirmed if I'd asked them in confidence. Although it's great they were reaching out to new people to connect with, they were doing it too late in the game. Don't wait until you need your network to create your network. A network is only valuable when it's activated. Networks take time to cultivate in the first place, and you have to be connected with people to give them value first before you can ask for something in return. Not surprisingly, my coworkers who had waited until the last minute when things were not going so well for them didn't have a lot of opportunities coming to them. It made me realize that I needed to start building my network well before I went off on my own. So I started to reach out to more people online and in person. I joined professional organizations and attended meetings. My goal was to meet as many business people as I could and to cultivate that network before I needed it. By the time I needed a network that I could reach out to for referrals, the network was there. And when I needed people to know what I was up to, I activated my network and told them. I have continued to cultivate my network over time, and it has served me well. 
As an example, when I first started to think about writing Million Dollar Journey, I realized that I once again had to expand my network. But this time, I wasn't looking for people to refer me to clients. I was looking for people who would be interested in buying a book about entrepreneurship and could tell me what they needed the most help with. Twitter has been my go-to network for entrepreneurs. Many entrepreneurs hang out there and share their experiences and give advice on running businesses. It is the perfect network to reach people who could provide me feedback on the best entrepreneurial topics to dive into. Starting about a year before I sat down to write the first words of Million Dollar Journey, I began to actively build my Twitter network even more. I reached out to many Twitter profiles, followed them, interacted with them online, and they reciprocated by following me and interacting with my tweets. I asked a lot of questions about their biggest struggles in business, and I used that insight to inform my decisions about what to include and exclude from this book. I also let my network on Twitter and beyond know that I was writing a book. Each time I sit down to write, I tell them. Each time I edit a chapter, I tell them. My network is on this book writing journey with me, and they're seeing all the ups and downs and how much work it is to write and publish a book. As I share, I build anticipation for the final product. As you prepare for your next move, think about how your network could help you. If you don't have a strong network already, start building it before you need it. Cultivate it by giving them value at every opportunity. Give to your network first. Then when you ask something from them, they'll be more likely to help you back. You'll be surprised that people you may not even know will go out of their way to help you because you have helped them either directly or indirectly in the past. Launch your website. A website is a critical tool for every company. If you don't get much traffic to it, the traffic that will go there is critical for your growth. Each time you communicate with someone new about doing work for them, they will instinctively require validation that you are a legitimate business. This is especially true when you are a one-man or one-woman show. Although you may have a good reputation, they need to see specific validation before they will hire you. One of the best forms of validation is your own website. Not having a website implies that you are not a legitimate company or that you are such a young company, you haven't even had time to get around to launching your website. If you do not have a website, you greatly reduce your chances of winning new work. Just having a website, even if it's horrible, is 10 times better than not having a website at all. I can't stress this enough. You must have a website or people will perceive that your business is not legitimate. Once you know your company name and what you offer, you need to act quickly to set up at least a basic website, or you'll struggle greatly to get work. We covered your website's domain name in the last chapter. Now, let's talk about the website itself. DIY Website Builder. A quick and inexpensive way of building a website is to use a do-it-yourself or DIY website builder. You can literally find hundreds of DIY website builders on the internet that will not cost you a lot of money. Examples include Wix, Squarespace, Weebly, GoDaddy, and many more. 
It doesn't matter which one you choose since they all provide the same basic features. Do a little research, find out how much they are charging for a minimal website, then pull the trigger and start building it yourself. You do not need to spend a lot of money or time on the first iteration of your website. Remember, going from no website to a website is a massive improvement in your marketing and positioning. Even a basic website will pay great dividends. Create a website with three to five web pages. Don't go nuts adding a lot of pages at this point because frankly, you won't have a whole lot to say. You'll need at least a homepage, an about us page, and a contact us page. The homepage provides an overall summary of who you are, what you do, and why someone should hire you. Although it's a summary, it should have enough information so that people get a good sense of what your company does. People love seeing pictures of others, so I recommend including pictures of you and if they'll agree to it, your clients. The About Us page will go into more detail about you, your company, the types of clients you service, and other details people want to know about you. Keep it professional and centered around your work, your results, and client testimonials. Your Contact Us page needs to provide your address, phone number, and a form that will allow people to reach out to you if they have a question but don't feel like calling at the moment. The form should collect the person's name, phone number, and email address. That is all the information that you need in order to reach back out to them. You can also include a how can we help you text box if you'd like, but in my experience, that is often used by spammers to send you spam email. Throughout your website, make sure you add pictures of yourself, your office, your clients, and anything that's pertinent. People want to visualize who you are, where you do your work, and what your brand is all about. Testimonials from previous projects and clients are key. When you are new, you need to provide as much validation as possible. If you have testimonials, then personalize the quotes by including the person's picture, their name, and their company name. Make it as concrete as possible. Business cards. Like a website, you need business cards. Most business people have business cards on them at all times. When you come into contact with someone, you want to be able to give them a business card and receive theirs. It's a fast way to exchange contact data so you can follow up afterwards. You can find thousands of sources for business cards, both online and at a local print or office supply store. If you need business cards quickly, your local print shop can quickly design and print them for you. Although a slightly more expensive option, you'll have business cards within an hour or two. I prefer to get business cards online. In the past, we've bought from sites such as moo.com, that's M-O-O.com, Vistaprint, and gotprint.com. They each have pre-existing designs to choose from, or you can design your own. They're cheap and usually arrive within a week. I typically order 250 at a time. I found that I did not hand out a lot of business cards in the beginning. I still don't. But I want each one that I hand out to have an impact on the person who receives them. For that reason, I searched for something unique several years ago, which I ended up buying from a printer in China. 
After being in business for about six months, I came across someone who had a metal business card. I was instantly intrigued and had to get one for myself. I searched the internet and found several vendors that would provide it. But the cost was significant at three to five dollars each. After scouring the internet, I found them on the Chinese website Alibaba for a dollar each. You may be wondering if spending a dollar on each business card is worth it. The answer is a profound yes. Each time I handed out a metal business card, the conversation instantly turned towards my card. When I found myself in a large meeting where attendees passed out cards, the meeting would stop as people commented on my card. My card was different and no one had a card like mine. Others would admit that their cards were lame compared to mine. The great part about this is that people remembered me and they held onto that card. Where most business cards look the same and quickly end up in someone's trash can, mine often would remain on someone's desk for months or years. They'd even show it off to others. Being a bit different with a metal business card led to a completely different experience than if I had saved a few bucks and opted for standard business cards. Speaking of business cards, sometimes people you meet won't have a card on them. In those situations, it's common for you to give your card to them and ask them to contact you. Pro tip, instead of hoping they follow up with you, which they're unlikely to do, ask them for their email address or phone number. Enter their contact information into your phone right then. Send them a message on the spot and confirm they received your message. Office space. When I went off to work on my own as a full-time freelancer, I found myself without an office space for the first time in a long time. I had a decision to make. Where should I hang my shingle? At the time, it didn't matter where I worked from, just that I had the work done. For the first time ever, I had the freedom to work from anywhere I wanted. I wanted to keep expenses low and to work remote as long as possible. I tried working from coffee shops, but they were too noisy. It also seemed silly to go to a public place, but then isolate myself and zone out on my computer. I could zone out at home without having to try to ignore everyone around me. Why even leave the house? And that's what I ended up doing. I started working from home. At the time, we didn't have a home office, so I had to carve out a place to work. The only good place to work was the dining room table. It was just me, a laptop, a cell phone, and my dining room table. Every morning, I'd open up my backpack, pull out my laptop, charger, and paperwork, and I'd spread it all out on the dining room table. Cell phone at the ready, I'd start working. I'd spend long stretches of time working and staring deep into my laptop screen. But quickly, I discovered a problem. My family. Since I was home and nearby, my lovely wife would occasionally pop her head in with a quick question. Just a small distraction, no biggie by itself. But inevitably, there were several of these quick questions throughout the day. Each would pull me out of my zone and interrupt my flow. Not the worst of problems, but still, they were distractions. My kids were still in elementary school at the time, and school ended early for them. 
By 2.30 p.m., they were back in the house. When they came in, they were happy to see Daddy and would give me hugs and kisses. Then my wife would take them to the other room so I could continue to work. Kids being kids? They were sometimes loud. That was distracting. They would sometimes roam over and show Daddy something. Another distraction. My wife would start to make dinner at around 5.30 p.m. Pots clanking, distraction. Oven doors opening and closing, distraction. The kids getting hangry, distraction. By 6 p.m. or so, it was time to eat, and I'd put everything back in my backpack so we could eat at the dining room table, which for the last few hours has served as my desk. Although I had been working all day, I was in a regular state of distraction triage. Some distractions I could ignore, others I could avoid, while others I could not. But each required some of my attention. Working from home only lasted a week. I love my family, but I also had to focus on work when I was working. I found a sublease on Craigslist. A small accounting firm about 15 minutes from home had an extra room in their office. They had two small office rooms in their upstairs that they rented out for extra revenue. One was already occupied by another solopreneur, and I ended up renting the other office. It was relatively small, maybe 10 by 10 feet, but it was plenty big for me. I set up a desk, a whiteboard, and a guest chair in case anyone ever came by. It had a lockable door and a window. Although the office itself was small, I could use the kitchen and bathroom downstairs. The room cost $400 a month. Not a ton of money, but it was an extra expense that I hadn't anticipated. Although I didn't want to spend any more than necessary, I needed a distraction-free zone when I went to work. Some people work well from home, but I needed separation between work and home, and for 400 bucks, I got it. I also knew that if I couldn't afford an extra $400 a month in expenses, then something was seriously wrong with my business. The office space worked out great for me. It was cheap, and I could close the door and get work done without distractions. But after a few months, I was getting lonely from the isolation. I often found excuses for leaving that small office, and I sought out other humans to interact with. Lingering downstairs to talk to the receptionist, quick trips to 7-Eleven, a coffee run to Starbucks, even though the office had free coffee. I searched for any excuse to get out and about. It was a strange dilemma. I needed to be left alone to focus on work, but I also didn't want to be alone all the time. I had to find a balance that worked for me. At the time, my friend Zach was running a startup accelerator in bustling downtown Norfolk. He had secured about 5,000 square feet of free office space from the city and used it to meet with small companies that were starting up or needed business advice. He also had regular meetings with more established companies and business people dropped by regularly. I was already a mentor to several of the startup founders who were part of his accelerator, and I went to his office about once a week. He reached out one day and told me that he had an extra room in his office. It was about the same size as the room I was currently in upstairs at the accountant's office. Since he had free office space from the city, it wouldn't cost me much. Just my fair share of common things like paper towels, toilet paper, and a cleaning person. 
I also had to pay for a parking garage pass. In total, it cost me about $100 a month. Most of the people who happened into the space were business people. Many were founders of startup companies, ideal prospects for me at the time. He held many business-related learning and social events there too. That meant that I could pop out of my office, walk around the corner to the main area, and bump into someone who may need my services. More importantly, I could do it quickly without having to drive across town. I could network and save time. Moving in would allow me to save time, money, and build up my network all at once. It seemed like a no-brainer to me. Shortly after moving in, distractions had once again entered my working hours. Zach and his crew were, uh, let's just say, not as consistently focused on work as I was. Whereas I spent hours working through my clients' problems, their work was more about talking through ideas and meeting with people. As they draw me into a brainstorming session or discussions about the way the world should work, I'd often get sucked in. It was fun, but I also had to get back to work. So I had to set boundaries, mostly for myself. I would go into my office and close the door. If someone walked by and tried to get my attention through the window when I was deep in thought, I'd signal that I was in the middle of something. They'd often keep walking by and find someone else to distract. I was able to find a balance between the social activities of an office space and the quiet that I needed for work. For downtime, I would attend one of the on-site learning or social events. Pretty quickly, I learned about the struggles of the business people who rolled through the space. Often, I learned that companies were struggling to find new customers. The need for work would become a common theme with all of the businesses that I bumped into. I'd even occasionally give a talk to the newer entrepreneurs about how I was getting leads. Ironically, giving talks about how I got leads would result in me getting more leads. I also started talking about various business topics, such as what I was learning from starting my company. Those were the early days of sharing my experiences, which are now culminating in this book. In retrospect, moving into his space was one of the best business decisions I made in those early days. It created relationships that have lasted to this day, and those relationships led to the local work that I needed at the time to augment my online work. By the time I moved out one and a half years later, almost all of my work was coming from the network I had built while there. Local projects worked out better for me than my initial online projects. There was less competition for the work, and they seemed to run more smoothly. Local clients also meant that I'd see clients in person. Meeting with people in person versus communicating over the phone or by email meant forming stronger, longer-lasting relationships. Those stronger relationships resulted in not only more work from each client, but referrals. My business grew, and as I hired employees, I began to outgrow the space. When I moved out, I didn't move far, just across the street. I could walk back to Zach's whenever I wanted and pop in for learning or social events. For your first office, I recommend that you keep your costs down and find a place where you can focus 
and where you can have some social interaction. A co-working space is a good option. Usually for about $500 a month, sometimes less, you can rent a dedicated office space with a desk, chair, phone, internet, and lots of internet bandwidth. Co-working spaces also host social and learning functions, often inviting speakers to talk on different business topics. If you prefer a different type of space, see if any of your business friends have a spare room in their office. Or check out Craigslist like I did. There are a lot of benefits to being close to other business people, as long as you can keep the distractions at bay. Chapter Takeaways Number 1. An LLC is a common business entity that works great for most businesses. Number 2. Be sure to pay for and get a business license. Number 3. Your network is a powerful asset. Activate it by telling the world about your new business. Number four, update all of your online profiles to be consistent with your singular persona. Number five, build a website so you're perceived as a legitimate business. Number six, opt for business cards that will make you stand out from the crowd. And finally, number seven, office space not only provides you and your team with a dedicated place to work, it helps to build your culture. Consider renting a co-working space before growing into a space of your own. Are you a business owner looking to reach more customers and grow? Array Digital is a world-class digital marketing agency that partners with companies just like yours. We've worked with top brands throughout the country and love helping businesses generate more revenue, employ more people, and serve more customers. Reach out to find out more about our award-winning website design, SEO, advertising, and social media. You can find us online at thisisarray.com or call us at 757-333-3021.